When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maryland sports fans. There's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to No Filler. No time has passed between the recording of our last intro and this one's intro. I'm still staring at Quentin's face. <laughs> it's been about three, four seconds. Yeah. Uh, I am down in Plano visiting family for the week. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you didn't listen last week, Q is in town. Last week was a rewind episode. This week is another rewind episode. Um, but yeah, this week we decided uh, we're going to dust off an old Jimmy E. World episode that we did. We're going to talk about clarity on this episode, which was the record that they put out right before Bleed American and they, and they exploded. And so, you know, this is somewhat, you know, under the umbrella of alt rock that came out in the nineties. Actually, I feel like clarity came out in 2000, if I'm not mistaken, Maybe. it could have been 99, but anyway, um, you know, this is when we're starting to, 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 lean toward email so you know it's gonna be a little bit different i feel like this is where the alt rock progressed from 90s through the 2000s yeah, this was like it yeah, the, yeah. the stepping stone or it whatever. went from like alternative shoegazy grunge to emo and then the garage rock revival yeah and like the, the 2010s the, the pop punk stuff too yeah was around this time like blink and some 41 and all that yeah so this is a pretty old episode dude i don't know yeah we're not staring at a computer right now. We're staring at each other. Yeah. That's the way we've got this mic set up. So we don't have Wikipedia at the ready this time. So, but yeah, but no, this was this was an early episode. So apologies if it sounds like crap. <laughs> it might, yeah, it might sound like crap. But um, and you know what? If this is an old enough episode, you're going to hear a "What You Heard" segment in the beginning. That's right. Which I, is interesting. I think it is because yeah. back in the day, we used to do what you we used to do "What You Heard"s um, each episode, and we would just bring. One song each. Um, so, yeah, obviously we scrapped that for monthly What You Heard, which I've enjoyed doing. But anyway, you're going to hear that, which is kind of weird, but yeah. 
There we go. <laughs> so this is Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. Before we give the episode up, let's take a quick break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So Trav, I actually have used BetterHelp in the past and it was a really, really great experience. I loved my therapist. He gave me a lot of great tools that I still use to this day. You know, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. Good news is therapy does work. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be, really. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and you would like some tools to help. Maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever it is you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And it's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapists in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And we've got a special offer for No Filler listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash nofiller. That's betterhelp.com slash nofiller. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. When something gets larger than the scene that created it, it's pretty much dead. When we were in high school and stuff, like in the mid-early 90s, it's like the emo was kind of synonymous with hardcore. Another word that could mean something greatly different if you grew up in Southern California than if you grew up on Long Island. It was like punk rock and screaming hardcore. That's what it kind of meant to me, and we didn't really fit in with that sound, so I kind of, it kind of puzzled me why people were calling us that. And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. With me, as always, is my brother, Quentin. And the voice you heard in the intro was Jim Adkins, frontman, lead singer of Jimmy E. World, which is the band we are going to be talking about today. And he was talking about emo music and how he thought that they didn't really deserve that label. And in all honesty... I have never used that label to describe Jimmy Eat World, which proves how much I didn't know about emo music going into this episode. So, Q, what about you? Did you, when Bleed American came out and Jimmy Eat World was all over the place, did you think of them as an emo band? Well, let's let's figure this out real quick. So, oh, we're gonna figure it out, my friend. Okay, all right. Well, so I don't think I knew the term emo when bleed american came out what what age so we're not talking about bleed american today no we're not no that we're was not. the album that that they got really famous that, for. that yeah that is the album that put jimmy world on the map and along with 
bands like Dashboard Confessional uh, brought emo music into the mainstream. But there are many different flavors of emo music is what I have discovered and what we're going to kind of get into. And we're going to talk about the history of emo and pretty much up to Clarity, which is the album that we're talking about. But for this particular discussion right now, I think the reason that I never considered Jimmy World an emo band is because when we were listening to music, getting into music really, which is around that time, right? When Bleed American hit hit the scene, emo meant a very particular, specific sound and more so it was tied to like a certain look, you know what I mean? And like a scene, right? Yes. So, yes. And, and that, that sound, that emo sound that I'm referring to is considered the third wave of emo music. There's four waves because apparently emo is, is making another comeback and that's the fourth wave recently. But bands like fallout boy, taking back Sunday, yes. you know, under oath, the used, like those are bands that to me were obvious emo bands. That's third wave. That's third wave emo. Okay. Okay, Jimmy yeah. World That's... is second wave emo. Okay, damn. But, so, before we get into the history, Q, I'm going to do a little exercise here. Because this is relevant. I'm going to name some bands. And you're going to tell me if 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 you would consider them an emo band. Okay? Okay. Fall Out Boy. Absolutely. Under Oath. Yeah. Amberlynn. Amberlin? No, I, w- I wouldn't have thought of them as emo. Weezer. No, <laughs> no. Newfound Glory. Newfound Glory? No, not emo. Punk. Isley. Remember them? Yeah, remember them? Isley is not emo. Panic at the Disco. Uh, on the fence for that one. I got news for you, buddy. All of these bands. Have the emo label applied to them. And here's, that's the whole point. So, the term emo has pretty much been hijacked by third wave emo. And like, that's that's what people think of when they think of emo music. The, the, you know, Fall Out Boy, the sound of Fall Out Boy and, and then Screamo being like Under Oath, right? Yes, I was going to say, for me, growing up, you know, in the time that we did, emo is synonymous with Screamo for me. That's what I always historically, you know, growing up, getting into music that the, at the time that we did, I always thought of emo bands as the more hardcore screamo bands. Well, so and here's what's interesting about it: first wave emo, which is we'll get into a little bit later, had a lot of screaming in it. Interesting. So the funny thing is, third wave emo brought back some of first wave emo. Huh. But. So let's get, we'll get into that later. So yeah, let's get into our, what you heard. It's my brother. Okay. Yes. So let's get into our, what you heard. And, uh, for those of you who do not know, this is our weekly segment where we both bring a band to the table that we've kind of been listening to lately, uh, just to give kind of another flavor before we dive into the album of the week. Um, so Q, uh, what you heard, what you've been listening to lately. Uh, let's hear it. I listened to clarity all the way through for the first time this past week, uh, just preparing for the show. And I immediately dove back into those bands that I was listening to 
in like 2002, 2003. And do you remember Watashi Wa? They're also on the list of emo bands. Did you think that they were emo? Absolutely not. Well, they are. But this is a band that was on uh, Tooth and Nail Records, which was a record label that had a huge impact on me as far as the artists that they signed. Yes. And for me, in my high school years. Let's name them off, dude. Let's name off those bands. Amberlin. Amberlin, yeah. May. May. Yeah. Emory. Yeah. And uh, Slow slow Coming Day. So here's the thing, Q. Tooth and Nail is an emo record label, dude. So every artist on that label is emo. And, that, and that's another thing. It seems obvious now when I think back on it, but... It, it really... That's that's what I was about to say, dude. Like, at I the mean, time, I, I didn't put all of... I didn't group all of those bands under that same genre, you know? Um. Anyways... This album, The Love of Life, this this is the album that I got into. So this is uh, With Love From Me To You on Watashi Wa's 2003 album, The Love of Life. Make the world new, things you dream to do, with love from me to you. So that's Watashi Wa. Yeah, and and I remember that song now that now, now that I hear it again. And so, the funny thing about this is, it's it's like, well, what else would we call it back then, other than emo music, right? Because when you hear it now, it's like, well, yeah, you know, that's really the only genre to put it in. So emo's short for em- emotional. Q, what a great segue, my friend. So, I've essentially spent the last week digging into emo music, the history of emo music, going and listening to like what's considered the first emo band and whatnot. So we're just going to go right into it and we're going to kind of skip over my quote unquote, what you heard, but what it, basically it's, it's what we're, it's what we're about to play, which is we're going to take a trip back to Washington, DC in 1985. That is the widely agreed upon origin of emo music is the DC hardcore punk scene in the 80s. 
So, damn, dude, I I would never in a million years would I have thought that emo started in the eighties. Never in a million. Well, here's why, dude. Emo stemmed from hardcore punk. So basically, like if you think punk rock in the eighties, right? You've got like the Mohawks and you know the leather studded vests, right? And like you right. know the Sex Pistols and like Minor Threat, the and Misfits, all Misfits, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the hardcore punk scene, and like you know what? What are those? Uh, uh, no effects and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that scene was called hardcore, right? Hardcore punk. There was this offshoot of of hardcore punk bands in Washington, D.C. in particular that uh, formed and were sort of grouped together and considered um, part of this movement, if you will, called the uh, the Revolution uh, Summer, I think. Yeah, that's what it was called. It was called the Revolution Summer, and that was the summer of 85 in D.C. And that was this social movement that these bands were lumped into that... Uh, sort of, they tried to kind of push back on the the mainstream media's like portrayal of punk, right? Okay. Like the you know the imagery that you think, pretty much what I just described, right? And uh, you know their concerts, their live performances, they would basically mosh pit. The moshing originated mm-hmm. in this movement because instead of like, hey, hang on a second, hang on. You're telling me that that moshing wasn't a thing before this revolution summer. Moshing, moshing was a moshing was a thing, but you would get a fist in the face in the mosh pit. Gotcha. Before this, because so like part of this revolution summer movement, if you will, was mosh pitting became more about just hey, let's shove each other around, you know. So maybe it was trying to, to to have a better image for punk. Yeah. For like the punk. Yes, that's what they're trying uh, to do. Scene. So, okay. you know, that makes there, sense. Were, there was a handful of bands that were considered part of that movement. Two of them um, are widely considered like the, like the origin of the term emo uh, started with these two groups. Uh, the first. So the first one and I've got a I've got a clip here. Uh, this band is called Rites of Spring. So part of the, along with, you know, this movement, it, it, really the only difference when you look at these bands compared to the other hardcore punk bands was uh, their approach to lyrics. So their lyrics became more reflective and like more um, expressive as far as like uh, inward emotion or whatever. And that's that's why, you know, when you listen to this, it's going to sound like a punk band because that's what it is. But the term emo was used to describe the lyrics more so than anything else in the 80s. Let's play the Rites of Spring clip first. Uh, this song is called Theme. And I'm going to I'll read the lyrics afterwards if you can't tell what they are. But so so when did this song come out? 1985. Okay. Wow. All right. Cool. Let's hear it. Okay. 
Okay, so, the lyrics, And if I started crying, would you start crying? And it goes on to say, And hope is just another rope to hang myself with. To tie me down, something real comes around. So, hardcore punk fans would be at the venue listening to these guys, and they would, you know, kind of make fun of the lyrics and stuff, because yeah. it was kind of corny, you know what I mean? Showing their emotions on their sleeve, right? Compared to other punk bands from that era, you know what I mean? I feel like... right. I feel like the lyrics of punk rock bands, it was all about rebellion, right? Like rebelling rebellion, against yeah, like, yeah. the Fighting system, the, society, and all that. The social stuff. norms and... Um, yeah. So I, these, know, I know a lot of uh, not a, a lot of punk bands were, were very political as well in the 80s. Yeah, so these, these groups uh, started like turning it in on themselves when they wrote the lyrics, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's... Okay, so let's now let's transition to this next band. Also, let me back up by saying there is this really good list... Uh, on there's this Rolling Stones article that covers the um, it's their ranking of the the 40 best emo albums of all time. Okay. So I'm gonna keep referring to that uh, just to give you context. They put this album, uh, the Rights of Spring album, uh, as number two on their list. Number two. Okay. So that's a pretty big deal. This next group, uh, they're called Embrace, uh, and this song is called Dance of Days. This is number 24 on the list of 40 greatest emo albums, according to Rolling Stone. But this group in particular is extremely important to the emo music history because this is when emo, the term emo was coined to describe this band. Uh, So there was this magazine, this punk rock magazine, I think it was actually a skateboard magazine uh, called Thrasher. And uh, there was an article or a review of this album in 1986, and the author coined the term emo core to describe the music. And he said, uh, it goes by the name of emo core or emotional core. Bands like Embrace, Rites of Spring, Beefeater, among others, are taking the severe intensity of an emotional projection and adding it totally into their respective live sets. Crowds are said to be left in tears from the intensity. So, he was using it more to describe the live act, you know what I mean? But that's because these singers would get so into it uh, in the live performance when they were singing these really personal, like, reflective lyrics that they would literally sometimes, like, come, like, to tears while they're up there. Not, like, sobbing, you know what I mean? But just, like, the emotional intensity of the moment. So... The, the 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 term emo core was was coined and then that just over time was just shortened to emo got it so let's hear their let's let's hear the song again it's called dance of days and when did this come out 1986 
I really liked that a lot, dude. I mean, you could start to see the the you know, you can start to hear a little bit of of what happens later on in emo music. You know, what I mean, like you can start yeah. to hear it a little bit. But yeah, again, I liked that a lot, and it, dude, that's blowing my mind right now that 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 came out in '86. That these they were yeah. doing, you know, because it's that's not punk. You know, it's not punk, but it, but it's, it's, it's definitely, different. No, but it's definitely got punk, uh, like a punk underpinning. It does. Or whatever. But like yeah, it, like you're you know. saying, like you can see those, you can see right. this gradual change. Yeah. And another, another key, another key, uh, aspect of emo music compared to punk or, or, uh, you know, hardcore rock is that the, uh, the guitar and the music in general, uh, has more of an emphasis on, uh, melody, like melodic uh, almost to the point of like math rock sometimes, which is what, you know, we covered that uh, with the Foles episode that we did. But yeah. uh, again, it's more about the lyrics back in the 80s. That's that's how the term was coined and all that. And, you know, when you read these lyrics, we all struggle for our dreams to be realized. They end up objects of our own despise. Why? The dance of days. So again, it's like, it's almost like, you know, and this is, this is kind of funny because like, another uh, cliche of emo the emo scene kids you know what i mean is that they would like write or type on their live journals you remember live journal back then yes i had one for a while dude you did did you really yeah but yeah so you know these are th- these are very reflective lyrics like somebody's writing in a, a journal you know or whatever so that that's kind of the origin of it so now let's jump into the 90s so this is considered first wave emo right Second wave emo is considered to have started um, in the Midwest, and that is where uh, this next band. And you, you'll you'll see a definite shift because you got to think like this is you know, it's ten years later. Um, ten years? It's it's ninety six, ninety seven. So this this came out in ninety seven. So yeah, just about okay. Ten years later, uh, and this has kind of another gone on to receive sort of iconic status for. For emo music, this was number three on rock and uh, number three on Rolling Stone's list of forty greatest emo albums. But what you're going to hear now is the definite shift more toward like melodic guitar and uh, you know kind of more of that like upbeat punk rock sound, but with you know almost no uh, no hint of hardcore whatsoever. Like that's like the screaming and all that. That's that's out of the picture at this point. So this band is called The Promise Ring. Uh, they were formed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And again, you're going to hear a shift more toward melodic music. And this is when you're going to start to hear the trademark, like whiny voice, you know, that everybody associates with emo. Yes. Second wave emo is, is kind of where that started. So this is called Why Did We Ever Meet? <laughs> Coming back 
So, it's interesting to hear that, dude. Um, knowing that it came out in 97, because it does have a lot of a lot of punk in it, you know. Yeah, but it's but it's, it's, it is different. Uh, right, it it's is the, different. Exactly. It's the um when you listen to the punk from the 80s, like it's it's that shift more toward that kind of more playful punk, I guess. More playful. I mean, but see, so I immediately thought of Green Day when I was listening to this. More so the guitar riffs and the drumming. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it had even, that... even some of the way that he was singing, but then it, it does kind of steer in another direction away from um, those more classic punk rock bands from the 90s. Yeah. Like I Green mean, Day. this is the uh, that's the punk sound that you and I first uh heard as far as like punk you know what i mean like blink blink right. 2 was our was our like intro to punk you know what i mean which is what late 90s even for 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 them yeah uh, but like well, green day you know their green day's album dookie came out in 94 yeah you know, and that's got your that's your classic 90s punk yeah right um and that was playful but but then listening to the, to this song from promise ring like it, there is yeah. a difference with it it is, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's more playful. Um, what are the lyrics? Do you have those pulled up? I've got one little snippet here. Under that threat of sky, we lie together. Why care about the weather? It only ends in darkness. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> out, dude, like out of context, not hearing the song whatsoever, like that's a pretty depressing lyric. Like it's basically he's like <laughs> yeah. saying like, why do we even give a shit about this nice weather, dude? We're all Everything gonna ends die. in darkness. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. but th- but then you listen to the song and it's it's got a very upbeat, you know, yeah. ba, 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 da, ba, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. That really part the that that part in particular is where it steers away from this from the typical punk of the nineties. But again, like in this whole. in this particular context, the reason that this is emo is because of the lyrics, dude. That's right. why. So like, anyway, like to give some more context, like. Two years later, in 99, um, New Found Glory's album came out, their first album, Nothing Gold Can Stay, right? So, uh, and remind me again, New Found Glory is on that list of emo bands? Yeah, New Found Glory is an emo. Okay. I mean, that's the thing, that emo is just a, a, you know, a term that gets applied in addition to other labels that are put on these bands, because obviously, New Found Glory is a punk band you know what i mean it's a punk pop pop punk is what i would put them under now like in retrospect you know right exactly so um okay so now now here's a little interesting um piece of trivia here q so the name of that song was why did we ever meet does that Mm -hmm. do those words sound familiar to you why did we ever meet they will they don't once i okay here is why uh they do sound familiar to you you remember the song? <laughs> do you remember the the Jimmy World song, a praise chorus on Bleed American? Yes. So the lead singer of the Promise Ring, his name is Davy Von Bolin, and Jimmy World and Promise Ring uh, toured together in the nineties. Okay. And praise chorus, which was on Bleed American, uh, Davy uh, sings backup vocals on the song. Uh, on on the song's chorus, particularly the um, you know the crimson and clover, ah that one, right, over and yep. over. So that's that's over Davey singing that part, and then Jim starts singing, you know, our house in the middle of the street. Why did Why we did ever meet? We ever meet? There you go. So he's referencing this song, 
while the while the lead singer is in in the studio with him. Wow. And then you remember the dude. Remember the next part of the song? <laughs> he says, "So come on, Davey, sing me something that I know." Yes. Yeah, dude. So there you go. It's all tied together. Cool. So anyway. So so obviously, um, this band Promise Ring was was an influence on on the boys and Jimmy, huh? Well, they were writing. Well, here's the thing, though. They were. They, I mean, they were writing music at the same time. It's not okay. Promise Ring didn't come before Jimmy World. Okay, so I guess it's time to let's jump into Jimmy World then, huh? Yeah. So okay, now we're gonna finally get to Jimmy. So before we talk about Clarity, which is the album that we're talking about today. Uh, I wanted to play a snippet from their previous album, which was called Static Prevails, just to kind of give you a contrast between like how their sound changed. Because when you listen to Jimmy World, when you listen specifically to Static Prevails and then Clarity and then Bleed American, like basically they take Emo Wave 2 and and completely transition into and usher us into uh, Wave 3. And you can hear it. You can totally hear it between these these three albums. So uh, let's listen to this song. It's called 17. uh, And it was off of their album Static Prevails, which came out, I believe, in 96. This came out a year before the Promise Wing album came out. But um, anyway, this is called 17. You know what that reminded me of, dude? What? Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, so that was is that the same game. singer, dude? No. So here's the deal. Okay. Here's the dealio. Prior to Clarity, Tom Linton, which is rhythm guitar and lead guitar, was the primary singer. Now, uh, Jim Adkins would sing also. Like he would do lead. He would sing lead on some of the songs. But it was mainly... So wait, was that him that we could hear in the background? Yeah, background yeah probably. Singing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought I picked up on, on his voice somewhere in there. I just wasn't sure if, if he was just singing a little bit differently than he usually does. Yeah. Than, the, you know, than what I'm used to. The funny thing is when you listen to the tracks on Static Prevails where he is singing the lead, you you can tell it's him, but he still, you can you, you can tell he hadn't really like mastered his his singing voice, I guess, because yeah, yeah, because he, he fully like hit it uh, with clarity. Like he found his voice and like, and all that jazz. That's probably why he pretty much took on lead vocals from then on out. Uh, but Tom Linton uh, sang lead on the majority of the tracks on static prevails. And he has a very different voice. Does like, he stick around? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's there the entire, the entire run of the band. 
But okay. But he just goes to background vocals. There is a track on Clarity where he sings lead vocals. Um, hmm. It's called Blister, and you could tell. I mean, you could. Like I said, they have very two very different voices. So, and his his voice lends itself more to like traditional punk sounds. You know what I mean? Right. That's what I was thinking. So, and that's all important, right? Because when they and shift, that, the you gym, know what? Listening to that song too, it's not just the voice; it's the guitar strumming patterns. It's the drum beat. It's all punk. You know, I yeah. guess that's really that's where it all stems from. But that's the thing. Emo music ha- has al- almost always had like a, a punk like bass layer to it. You know what I mean? Well, and like you said, emo is just one descriptor. You know? Yeah. Um, right. Exactly. Emo and punk. Uh, right, screamo because if you think about it, there's screamo in there. There's screamo. There's hardcore emo. There's and here's the thing. There's there's emo pop. Emo mm-hmm. pop music is third wave emo. Okay, and that's what Jimmy World pretty much. Jimmy World and Dashboard Confessional like transition from second to third wave by by writing emo pop music. Got it. All right. So let's transition now. Let's talk about Clarity. This is their third album, Jimmy World. They were signed to Capitol Records prior to Static Prevails. So Static Prevails was their first record on a major label. Clarity is like when they kind of, kind of like what we were talking about with Spoon, where they kind of went all in on it, you know? Uh-huh. Because, hey, you know, you know, they kind of had already written all the songs for Static Prevails and were being like courted by different labels. And then they made the 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 record and that was in 96 so that's three years later they come out with clarity so it was kind of their first like release under capital if you think about it that way because they've been signed they had all that previous material now they're working on new material for a new album on this major record label and like you can definitely hear like a a change in, in quality of like the recording and like so it was better produced and all that stuff their singles off of this album are Lucky Denver Mint, which is the song that you heard in the intro of this episode, and Blister, which is the song that Tom Linton sings on. But um, there is a huge change compared to all the stuff that we heard previously to a more poppy sound, and that's where the emo pop label gets thrown in there. But they still retain a lot of the, um, I don't want to say hardcore, but like, you know, the thing that makes Jimmy World so great is that they go from like, they still have a little bit of like the first wave in some of their songwriting, but they also like, they transition well from one, from one song to the next. And the two songs that I'm playing off this album kind of prove that. So the first one is called Your New Aesthetic. This is track number two, no, track number three. You're going to hear kind of that punk heavy sound but with Jim Atkins on lead vocals. And uh, anyway, let's just play and then we'll talk about it. Lowering the standards in a process selective The formulas to thin But it takes more than one person So everyone jump on I'll miss you when you're just like them Imitate
Okay, so great song, right? Great song. Can I just say real quick, dude, because it's eating me inside. Uh, he obviously borrowed a little drum beat from from Dave Grohl there. That is I mean, straight who up di- to my dude. Who didn't? Who didn't? <laughs> that is the that is the my hero drum beat, man. Yeah, dude, you're right. And but that's the thing, dude. They're you know, this is the '90s, you know. It's the '90s, and that was a that's a badass drum beat, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would I, I would do it if it if it fit well in whatever song I was trying to add drums to. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, dude. But um, it, it, yeah, absolutely. That's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah. So Jim Atkins on vocals again, um, and like you can totally hear this is them sort of like prote- uh, perfecting the formula, right? That goes on to become absolutely the Bleed American absolutely. album because. This song sounds a lot like Bleed American, the song, right? Uh, as far as like, like I really like that that kind of transition into the chorus where it's like that sort of like off key, like guitar, like I like string that a lot bending too. That's type my thing. Favorite part. Yeah, that might be my favorite part of the. It's of yeah, the it's song. great, man. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily consider this emo what we think of when we think of emo. Dude, I was gonna say the exact opposite, man. Like listening to this now, it's so obviously emo. Well, I mean, and uh, yes, now knowing the full like history and context of emo, yeah. But I mean, as far as third wave emo, when we think of Taking Back Sunday or like Dashboard Confessional, right? You know, or Watashi Wa that band he played earlier, like you uh-huh. wouldn't you wouldn't fit them into this. But as I said earlier, like they sort of like transition us into third wave and that's where this next song is going to come in and you're going to hear it completely okay, cool and you're also going to hear huge similarities to the kind of stuff they continue to write for bleed american uh so anyway this next song is probably one of my favorite tracks on the album it's called 10 and uh what i've always appreciated about them is the vocal harmonies that they do um mm-hmm and this song has a great example of that with, with the chorus and whatnot. Anyway, again, this is called Tin. Uh, it's, uh, uh, who cares what track it is, right, Q? No one cares. Let's I know, we, we keep saying, like, who cares? Let's stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I just, yeah. Uh, track number eight, if you're curious, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. So, right? I mean, it sounds nothing like 
the first track we played sounds nothing like the track from Static Prevails whatsoever. No, not at all. Or does it sound anything like any of those other bands that I played earlier? But like this is like the transition into the more softer, like sort of um, melodic, you know, where it's less about the punk. There's there, there's not even a hint of punk rock at all in that song, right? No, not at all. And like I was saying earlier, it sounds a lot like the vibe and the feeling that you get from some of the songs on Bleed American, like um, like Hear You Me. You remember that song? Oh, yeah. It sounds almost exactly like that. So like I said, they are like per- perfecting that formula, you know, that, that pretty much brought emo into mainstream. How many years between Clarity and Bleed American? There, there was three years between Static Prevails and Clarity, and then two years between Clarity and Bleed American. And that's the thing, too. Anytime we talk about length of time between albums, we're talking about length of time between release dates. You right, know? right. Like, yeah, who knows how, how, how far back they were writing songs for Bleed well, American. Well, dude, here's it the thing. It could have been even, even in the same time. They, they wrote, they, they wrote uh, Sweetness around the same time because there's a, a um, really expanded edition of Clarity where there's a demo of Sweetness attached to it. Wow, dude. I think that might be my favorite Jimmy World song. Well, what's funny, dude, is, okay, you remember back in the day, Nirvana, or not Nirvana, uh, Napster, <laughs> LimeWire, all those, right? Yes. The first, the first version of Sweetness that I heard was this mm-hmm. version. I just didn't realize it. Wow, because you know what, dude? Had, you're, it's, I'm probably in the same boat. I just don't remember. Yeah, I, I downloaded Sweetness off of LimeWire or Napster, and it was this version. It wasn't the Bleed American version. So I remember when I heard the Sweetness single that came out, yeah. it sounded way different. And I actually I actually like the uh, the uh, demo version better. Yeah. So I'll have to put that in the show notes. But um, anyway, so I have another clip from the song because um, there's sort of a change. Uh, there's like a... There's a uh, there's a bridge, and you know we like to play bridges around here. We love bridges. Yeah, because it gives you another another um, part of the song that you're not going to hear on the verse chorus. But anyway, uh, let's hear that, and we'll keep talking about.
really pretty harmonies. Yeah, I just love that chorus, man. It's just so great. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's another thing that I really love about this song. It happens in the chorus. But basically, after they sing uh, their their line, the drum and the guitar do this like... I don't know how to how to really mimic it here, but like the drum, the snare drums hit twice. Ding mm-hmm. ding. That's gonna sound dumb if you play it back. <laughs> that didn't sound like a snare drum at all. <laughs> well, that was that was uh, the, that was the guitar strumming along with the snare drum hit. Okay, but anyway, like I said earlier, it's a huge transition from the previous two waves of emo music, right? Yeah, yeah. but it sort of ties in the more. Well, I mean, there's a lot of bands that 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 we didn't well okay let me just fucking bring this up our sidetrack next week is going to be this band called american football they are also considered an early emo band and they maybe perhaps could be considered the first emo band that that um stepped completely away from punk rock and that's probably kind of what influenced jimmy or jim i should say jim atkins because what they do so perfectly is they retain the punk rock vibes, but they also do sort of the uh, slow melodic stuff. And they like they did both perfectly, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how they made it so big because they were able to come out with... I mean, think about it, dude. They, they, they released Bleed American, which was this like really heavy, loud song, and uh, The Middle. Like, you know what I mean? I love that song. I was just that song was just playing in my the, head while the you were talking just now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and and sweetness, like, dude, think yeah. about how different those three songs sound. You know what I mean? I was just thinking that too, man. Like, uh, sweetness, it's like sweetness is the perfect in between. Yeah. Uh, of Bleed American and the middle. Yeah, that's why they got such huge success, dude. Yeah, Bleed American. Um, or uh, the middle specifically, that was such a big single. And oh my god, dude! That song was was pretty big for us too, dude. Yeah, I remember playing that song together when we were first kind of learning our chops with our instruments. You know, like we, yeah, I, I remember us playing that song together uh, with just guitar and drums. Yeah, I remember and I, sweetness. I learned uh, the solo on that song, and and. I must have been fucking walking around like I, like I was yeah. fucking bee's knees, dude. Yeah, it's such an upbeat song. It's it's so good. Yeah, and so, the lyrics on that song are so great, very uh, well, uplifting. Which is kind of funny because emo lyrics are usually not uplifting, but emo music has been like you know tied to like introverts and like people who are like have self doubt and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the middle is kind of like a, you know, hey, it just takes some time. Yeah, know? don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head. Right. So anyway, we'll do an al- uh, we'll do an episode on on that album at some point because there are some killer songs on there that were not singles. Yeah. Like oh, Authority, yeah, dude, that Authority song, gold, man. Cautioners. What about Your House? Was that a single? That's my favorite song on the album. Um I love that. That's an song. excellent song or excellent song. Uh, hold on. You ripped my heart right out. According to according you to this listing, right Bleed American, Praise Chorus, The Middle, and Sweetness were the singles. Yeah, dude. Fuck. So yeah, Your House is great. Cautioners is kick-ass. If you don't, don't. Oh, 
Ooh. Yeah. I forgot about that one, man. Yeah, dude. We'll do, yeah. The Authority song was great, man. Yeah. Damn. All right. Yeah. So we'll do we'll do that later. But yeah, it, it's important to like hear like what preceded Bleed American, and that's what Clarity is. And Clarity has gone on to receive like critical acclaim. What's funny is they actually got dumped from Capitol Records after this album came out. No way. Yeah, because it didn't see much success. Uh, Lucky Denver Mint, which was a single, was on, um, I think it was on Never Been Kissed, that film. Oh. It was like a radio. Uh, Never Been edited. Kissed. Yeah, with Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. So that oh. kind of, apparently that song, because of the movie, had sort of a cult following tied to it. So, mm-hmm. But anyway, there's a lot of great songs on Clarity that I wasn't able to play. Like I had like three or four songs that I wanted to play on this episode, but um, you'll just have to go back and listen to it. But yeah, so we, like I said, we barely scratched the surface on the history of emo. There's a ton of other stuff out there. I mean, think about it, dude. We jumped from 87 to 97 with those two bands. There's emo music happening all in between there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But you can hear the evolution. Like I always think of music genres kind of like, the evolutionary tree, you know what I mean? Where these, these branches and then they branch off. Right. Absolutely. So like, yeah, man, that's music for you. I, I mean, that's yeah. I, I'm obviously I'm not like some fucking like, that's not revolutionary in any. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but it is, it is fun to look at it that way and, and to, yeah. So when you find th- all those uh, points that, that connect. Yeah. Cause when you go to, you know, there's the punk rock branch that branches off into hardcore punk I think that song you know. that that you uh, that you played earlier uh, from that band Embrace was a great song to hear. That where those where that point split into those two different genres. Yeah, because uh, "Rites of Spring," the song that I played from "Rites of Spring," sounded more yeah. like a traditional punk song. Yep. With the exception of the lyrics, and then "Embrace," it still sounded like a punk song, but it started it gets to kind a of bit throw more in, playful. Yeah, a little bit of of more what you associate with, with emo. And then you yeah. jump to promise ring and like, it sounds completely different. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of stuff happening in between those two bands. Uh, and one of which, um, we'll do, uh, next week for our, our sidetrack. These guys are called American football and, um, they are, I think they just had one album. Um, but they've, they've gotten they've, since then they've gotten back together and released other more material, but, they kind of have a cult following, you know, um, mm-hmm. but their music is a, a lot more melodic and slow. So that's that side of emo. Cool. I'm excited to hear it. And they do some really interesting things with it. It's a, it's a great listen, um, the album all the way through, but we'll get into them a little bit uh, next week for the sidetrack. So that's it, man. That is our like quick overview of emo. Like I, I learned a hell of a lot, dude. One thing I, I, I didn't really realize, um, and reflecting back on it, it's obvious now, but like the vast majority of music that we listen to in like middle school and into high school falls under the emo umbrella. I just didn't realize it. Yeah, right. It, it, it is obvious now looking back at it. Because it, if emo music simply means melodic guitar mixed with emotional, like reflective lyrics... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no wonder so many bands get thrown under there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you branch off to that, 
Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have put Isley into that that category. Man, I dude, that's a band I'm gonna have to revisit, dude. I haven't thought about them in years. What was their hit? It was like te- uh, uh, telescope, telescope eyes or something like that. Te- uh, telescope eyes, yeah, yeah. Oh, they. Uh, what was that other band that we were in? Uh, the like, remember them? Yeah, yeah. Or they she, opened for so for okay. Kings, of, Kings of Leon. Did you see them open? Yes, I was there okay. with you, dude. I can't, I can't remember if that was Kings of Leon or Spoon. It was Kings of Leon, 100% for sure. I know that, dude. It was uh, The Features. The Features. by The Like and then Kings of Leon. Pretty sure uh, Pretty sure Mitchell was at that show with us. Oh, yeah, dude. Mitchell was at all the Kings of Leon shows with us. Ain't that right, Mitchie? <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Mitchell McKnight. Uh, yeah, so before we get into our outro, real quick, as always, uh, I'm just going to make this short and sweet. Hop onto our website, nofillerpodcast.com. Uh, you can pretty much uh, pretty much get everything that you, that you want on that website. Uh, you can stream our episodes uh, directly from SoundCloud on there. Uh, you can read our show notes for each individual episode where we dive into... Um, Right, we've got a track list for all the songs for each episode. Um, we've got embedded videos with uh, you know concert clips and interviews, links to all of our uh, all of our source material that we pulled. Uh, so if you want to dive a little bit deeper into these artists and albums, um, chances are you'll you'll get some more information on our show notes. And you can subscribe to us on pretty much any app, uh, anything that you use to listen to the pods. We should be on there, uh, even Stitcher, right? We're on Stitcher now. Yeah, we were. We were. Uh, yeah, we we're, we have been added to Stitcher as well. So, very there cool. You go. Very cool. All right. Um, cool. So so uh, so that's gonna be be it for today. That's <laughs> so that's gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's gonna do it for today. To close out the episode, uh, we'd like to, you know, pick a, an artist that. Um, in this case, an artist that Jimmy E. World mentions as a uh, influence or a band that they got into. Jim Atkins, in particular, there's an interview that I was watching where he um, references Fugazi as uh, one of his like top three favorite bands. Hmm. Uh, now here's I've never actually gotten into them. Here's the interesting thing about Fugazi Q. We're about to go full circle. Are you ready? I'm ready. The lead singer of Fugazi is the lead singer of Embrace. Oh, my what God. What is going on here, dude? Oh, my God. So, basically, Embrace was, like, very short-lived. And um, the lead singer, uh, his name is Ian McKay, uh, formed Fugazi in 1987. He's been associated with a lot of a lot of acts that, um, that have sort of these cult followings. He was also in Minor Threat, which was a hardcore punk band before he came... And, and did uh, embrace so, before he embraced embrace. That's right, Q. All right, yeah. So that's funny because he, you know, minor threat like is hardcore punk with no hint of emo. And then he yeah, and they and were does... pretty. They were pretty big. Well, yeah, like I said, they've they've got it's just one of those other kind of like cult following bands, you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah. But um, cool. Yeah, so he did a small stint of emo music with embrace, and then he went back and and did Fugazi, which which is more like experimental like punk uh post hardcore so anyway uh this song is called 
Uh, I think this is like, you know, their most popular song. So um, it's called Waiting Room. It came out for their first album uh, called 13 Songs, which came out in 87, 89, sorry. Uh, came out in 1989. So again, uh, this is one of Jim Atkins' favorite bands, or at least it was when he was interviewed back in the 90s. Um, all right, so that'll do it. Uh, we're we're going to uh, let the song play us out here. Um, again, this is No Filler Podcast. My name is Travis. And I'm Quentin. See y'all next time. Bye-bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points.
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.